After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling, Raghu Marcus. I'm back with Spring Washam. Spring, it's great to have you here and nice to Thank meet you, you too. <laughs> I, uh, uh, you don't even know this, but I'll tell everyone, I know of you and really have met you through Jack Cornfield. We were having ah. dinner at Ramdas's house about a year ago and somehow he just mentioned you uh, in relation to the Be Here Now podcast network so that's our connection is through oh. jack our beloved jack and uh, really glad to hear you uh, to have you here and uh and hear you and also everybody uh spring works with uh, jack at uh, spirit rock one of the teachers there and also um you started the east bay meditation center which i want to hear about later but that's uh also a wonderful accomplishment uh but also we have to mention a fierce heart this wonderful book that you wrote uh, i guess that came out last year huh yeah yeah so let's just give us a little bit of a roundup of uh like growing up to waking up what was happening and where was it happening and give us an idea of uh that evolution well, I was born in Southern California, and I grew up kind of between Northern and Southern California. I, we would sort of travel back and forth a little bit, a bit like gypsies, my mother, my sister, and I. Hmm. <clears throat> and I, you know, I write a lot about this in the book, going through all kinds of different things and living on my own when I was a teenager. Uh, my mother had an abusive relationship, so I lived on my own in Los Angeles. And, and all through that time, I had a lot of spiritual interests, mostly because of all the suffering around me. I got really interested in psychology as a teenager. And then that led me more onto the path of meditation. I started getting very interested in meditation I started with Self-Realization Fellowship, Paramahasa Yogananda School. Mm. <laughs> and then um, that led me on to just happening on to meeting Jack, um, as we were mentioning Jack earlier, at a retreat, at a Vipassana course for meditation for beginners. And I didn't know who was having the retreat and the funny story how we met, but I think when, I, when people ask me about the waking up process, it was really trying to understand suffering and why things were so painful and so hard. And that really was my awakening, was my own depression, sadness. So in some way, it's not a, a new story. <laughs> it's sort of like, it's a classic one, you know. But still, um, being in the, that environment that you're, that you were in, which was very, very difficult to say the very least. It is not that usual for somebody to turn to an interior uh, questioning and uh, about suffering. Uh, it's more usual to get caught up in uh, all of the things that we do to uh, buffer ourselves from suffering, particularly around drugs. Okay, that's one major common theme. Uh, for for a lot of people, so yeah, w a little bit more on what what was that turn that you made 
to really investigate uh, suffering? You know, I guess in some ways, you know, I had a spiritual inclination mm. at a young age. I really did. Now, as I look back in the first chapter of my book, I write um, about when I was five years old, turning to my sister and saying, this is going to be a tough life. You know, this is, you know, I kind of surveyed the scene of, okay, we have no money. We're black. We, my mother is, you know, kind of a mess. My father left, you know, all these difficulties. But in some ways, I think I, I had a real philosophical interest when I was young. You know, I asked a lot of questions. I didn't get any answers. That was what was challenging. But I had a lot of questions. And mm. I don't know. I just started becoming, uh, as a teenager, reading everything I could about self-help and psychology. I somehow always knew it had something to do with my mind. That was really clear for me. Like something's wrong with my mind and something's wrong with the people around me's minds. And I would say that a lot. And so mm. that's really what interested me was I knew somehow the answer was inside. Mm. So that, that, that was something, I guess you could say, that was unique in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I got interested in that, my yeah. mind. Yeah, that is unique, especially in, the, in those circumstances. It's funny, I, I talked to, I had a, a podcast, a chat with uh, Adi Ashanti, I think you know who he is. He's yeah, in your area. Yeah. Beautiful man. And he said <clears throat> when he was a kid, he, he looked at all the adults going through all this craziness of, you know, suffering and, and you know, and playing out all of their uh, neurosis. And he couldn't believe, he kept thinking, what is going on here? He really, like you, was like, I got to find yeah. out what is, what is this? And he concluded at an early age, these people were insane. Okay. <laughs> And I'm going to find out what really is going on. And that's what led him on his path. So, yeah. Yeah, very similar. I had that thought almost daily yeah, in my household. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the book, you talk about cultivating a fierce heart. is about learning to embrace it all, even the most painful aspects of our lives, every experience and all of ourselves. We have to open up to everything in order to transform it. We become willing to use every condition, challenge, and misery as a teaching, no matter how bad it feels or how or how dark it gets. And uh, a lot of people espouse this. Uh, this is uh, uh, obviously not a unique notion. It is unique for you to actually embody this amongst those kind of circumstances. So I think that uh, this book is a real testament to um, to really having a, a, tr a real transformation uh, to be able to come out the other end of this. I mean, really. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been a journey. Mm. Um, so, you know, we all know that the process of transformation is, is you know, it's not comfortable for anybody. And, um, and that's why a lot of people back off. And go okay, or they they take on this quote unquote spiritual persona, a spiritual persona that kind of bypasses the the neurotic tendencies that we have. You want to talk about that a little bit about how you know really uh, working with transformation through discomfort. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the the real message in the book is how to open to that and. It is difficult in a lot of ways. You know, I, I've been 20 years in the kind of Western Vipassana community, and there is a lot of bypassing going on. And I think there's two groups of people. I always say there's the group that kind of fly in from the top. You kind of, they kind of float in a little bit and, you know, they have difficulties. And of course we all do, but then there's those that have to kind of fight their way up from the bottom. You know, and they have to, it's like hard fought wisdom there, right? Nothing is given. There are no opportunities. You sort of, you sort of grit it out and you learn from that. And I, I think I've always been one of the, the ones coming from the bottom, you know? And so some people have opportunities where they can bypass, but others do not. The suffering is so acute and so apparent that there is no opportunity to kind of, there's no escape right? It's, it's there. 
And how do you use those moments? And for those who unconsciously, because I don't think it's a conscious thing to bypass. People really think they're on the path and they really are feel genuine. But I think the sad thing, and I've seen this a lot in communities, is they plateau. Hmm. They get to, you know, they initially meet meditation, meet the Buddha, meet the guru, have these great experiences, and then nothing after that. Retreat after retreat. And they just kind of don't really change. The patterns aren't changing. The habits maybe a little better, but not really. And so that plateau is something that I feel people are talking to me a lot about. It's really mm. predominant. I'm not really changing anymore. And mm. so the, that's a bite that that's how you know you're sort of the kind of stuck. You don't really open, right? It's kind of the facade of opening, but not that that real opening that happens in the beginning where you just kind of it, you're just naked, right? There's an openness and we get closed sometimes as we go along. We get bitter or we get disillusioned at the progress. It's a long journey, that's for sure. Um, and so the bypassers are those that are kind of stuck a little bit on the sidelines. You know, they imitate it, but it's not from the heart. Mm. You know, it's not a real transformation anymore. So what do you suggest to students that talk to you about this? Well, oftentimes when people are mentioning those kinds of feelings, stuff, plateau, it's not the same, is that I believe really it is a matter of the heart. It is something that is the love, the compassion, the, the intensity of the longing to awakening has to be this longing to open the heart. And so really we bring people back to that, having them do practices, the metta, bringing them back to compassion practice so that they can live in the heart more, not just think about it, you know, sort of disembodied or, you know, getting intellectual, those who are living more in the head, it is an sort of imitating, you know, an imitation spiritual life in a way, you know, it's like a house full of Buddha statues, yeah. but no peace of no mind. Buddha. We have a lot of that, no Buddha inside, right? So I do think that this has, and that's why I write A Fierce Heart, is that to really open is to open the heart, is to feel, is to be willing to experience it all. And that only comes through one place. It can't, it's not in the mind, as you know. Another, I think another, well, for me, another uh, analogy for fierce heart is courageous heart. And I think that people, when they get stuck in these kind of areas, uh, spiritual bypass uh, is a very, very common. Th I think, in fact, we all, to some degree, are doing that in order to avoid pain. And the courage is, is uh, the uh, important component to being able to allow pain to be. And that's, uh, in, in the West, this is not something, that's why it's beautiful to go to India. It's so painful there. <laughs> that's one good reason to go. Just go there because you're going to encounter severe pain in many ways, not just physical, just because it is so uh, completely top to bottom, uh, vastly different than what we're used to here. And so it's a good exercise. But uh, we can do it here, and I think courage uh, fierce courage is uh, probably a good analogy. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. And I, I, and I love, I know, going to India for a lot of people because they're forced to look at their mind. How yeah. are they dealing with this intensity of life and death right in front of yeah, you? Yeah, right in front you of know? you. Yeah. And you have to either open or you're going to suffer and you're going to feel that. Yeah. You know, feel the hatred and the block and the yeah. escape, wanting to escape. So India, <laughs> she's a teacher. Yeah, big time. <laughs> um, so there's um, a friend of mine and I are doing something around, uh, you know who Krishnadas is, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, you know, he and I were in India with Ramdas back in the day with Neem Karoli Baba. And so he, he's been going at different talks that he gives in, in, the, in between his chanting and stuff. He talks about, um, we wake up in the morning to the movie of me. And so uh, I said to him, you know what, we're, we're going to expand on the movie of me is to, uh, from the movie of me to the movie of we is a, a progression, you know, that we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm doing something with another friend. 
But then I read here, the mind spins all day long generating one story after another. When we believe our painful thoughts, dark emotions follow, and a four-alarm fire is triggered. Can I use that four-alarm fire trigger thing? I mean, that's fabulous. It's great. Yeah, no, sure. <laughs> no wonder we feel so much stress. We're constantly reacting to the nightmarish movies that are playing over and over in our heads. We're addicted to these dramas. Oh. I mean, so right on. Talk about that a little bit and how we maybe uh, get out of that uh, lock, which is a lock that happens, you know, very soon after we are embodied in this incarnation. Yeah, that that reading comes from the chapter Prison of the Mind. Mm. And as I, you know, write about that, I, you know, this is our human suffering. That How do we get out of the nightmare? How do we wake up? And I, you know, I tell people a lot that it really is about practice. The more we, we just practice the simplicity of present moment awareness, you know, I don't know any other way, you know, and those moments where the movies are playing, we just press the pause button, you know, just pause. There is another reality. And the more we can just pause, I think the more we see, oh, I have the power here to actually turn off the TV station, I can get up, I can, you know, disengage. So these, um, these teachings are so simple, but so hard to implement, aren't they? Mm. Like, yes, just turn the channel. Mm-hmm. It's so compelling, those dramas. As you, you look at the world stage right now, it's compelling to be caught up in the stories. Say the very least, yes. Yeah, practice. And the pause, you, you, you mentioned pause, and I think uh, one of uh, our, that circle of, that, uh, of the Vipassana folks, Sharon Salzberg being who I'm thinking of, uses that a lot, and, and it's a great little uh, meditative practice. Uh, as soon as you realize that you are caught, just like if you were sitting in meditative practice and you get lost and you come back to the breath, uh, that's a pause, and you can do that in your daily life. When you get caught in that movie, you can just take a few breaths and I'm going to pause now. I think pause practice is is a good thing. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. So, oh, now uh, something interesting with you because you're deeply involved in vipassana and and teaching mindfulness and so on. But you're also, somehow, you got over to Peru, where you just were, you told me before. But uh, talk about that initial, what was that that drove you to, um, to the um, shamanistic practices? Well, you know, what's interesting, it was actually on a three-month meditation course that I was doing an intensive with Joseph Goldstein was leading it. Western Vipassana teacher that's on your network that you probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a three-month meditation retreat and I was doing concentration practices, jhanic absorption, and I completely fell apart. <laughs> and I kind of fell apart in a way I never had before. It was in a way that I couldn't be mindful of it. And I knew I had a lot of trauma and I thought that I had worked through it all. You know, mm. I had done everything sittings, blessings, I swam with dolphins, you know, you name it, I did it to kind of move on from that. And when I kind of fell apart on that retreat, it was so destabilizing for me when I left, I left a couple weeks early, because I realized that sitting in the silence um, wasn't alleviating the symptoms. And I got really curious about trauma at that point. And this was 10 years ago. And many teachers aren't aware as they are now. I mean, as a community, we are learning more and more about how meditation uh, affects trauma and how people with intense trauma experience their practice at certain times. This is a, you know, it's a real evolution, I could say. We're all learning so much. Mm. Um, But 10 years ago, uh, I didn't know what to do when I left the retreat. I had vertigo my ears were ringing i couldn't eat Mm. i came came back to california kind of a disaster and at that time i kept feeling like this is so deep i don't know how to access this suffering i don't know what it is but for the first time i felt like i needed 
a, a different approach. And I, would all, I was always interested in shamanism. Uh, and I ran into a psychologist friend of mine who she said spring, you know, after I was sharing everything I'd gone through the previous months, she said, why don't you come and join a small group of us next weekend? We're working with this plant called ayahuasca. And there's a, a medicine man who's come from, I think he was from Puerto Rico, actually. And why don't you join us? And she was someone I trusted. And she said, I've been getting so much help from this. And I, I was so desperate. I was like, what is this? some Amazonian plant? And I thought, this is crazy. But I was so desperate enough to be open. Mm. And I went. And then that led me uh, to then having an amazing experience, a healing one. And I decided that I wanted to go to South America and understand exactly what this could offer. And that's led to a 10-year odyssey, which mm. I'll be writing a new book about um, coming out, and, uh, and healing trauma. And so that was my real interest, and that has really helped me over the years. And I started an organization, and I'm helping others now, but that was how it started. Mm. And, and of course, using ayahuasca as a transformational yes. device. So yes. to speak. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, I don't know if you mind sharing this, but y later on, I believe uh, you went through some really tough stuff around your health, around uh, a partner splitting up and so on. Um, and I, I think that helped uh, a lot. I th you say in the book around developing compassion and so on. But do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because uh, a lot of people can relate with what happened to you. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those moments where, you know, even on a spiritual path for a long time, it catches us by surprise mm. where we enter into the dark night. We're like, how could this be happening? I'm nice. I'm generous. <laughs> you know, and then there's a descent of some kind. And that's really a series of things happened. Someone I was madly in love with wanted to marry somebody else. And mm. then I needed to have a surgery and I wrecked my car all in about Jeez. five day period. Oh. <laughs> it was like everything unraveled. And I think that that relationship just really triggered a lot of deeper feelings that I hadn't kind of dealt with the attachment and, all these different things. And I really fell for a period into a really dark place. And for those who are maybe experiencing that, I do always talk to people about the fact that this is a transformative place. It doesn't feel like it because you're dying in some way. You know, something is dying and you really feel that. And, and to get through that without self-destructing is really key. And I relied on my spiritual practices then like I had never before mm. to get through that compassion and loving kindness and uh, just staying steady with that storm that went on for a very long time. And then of course you rise like, you know, the Phoenix out of that. And then it makes sense later. You know, I look back on that period a few years ago and go, wow, that I kind of, that was so profound. But out of that came, believe it or not, one of the most creative periods of my life. Hmm. I finished a book. I started a new organization all while I was, you know, in my bed crying my eyes out. There's also this profound creativity started to emerge. So, so there's beauty in the dark night, but it's hard and it's disillusioning. And for those who don't have a lot of... Um, practice it can be very you know mentally destabilizing to say the least but i got a lot of help and support and 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 i got through that period but i i did write about that because i wanted people to understand that i that it can happen at any moment you know this kind of descent and then the rising out of that mm. there's always there's always that journey of down into the underworld and then out again yeah so i just what you just said, though, the, you uh, didn't spend too much time on it, and I didn't mention it, but I think it is the most important thing that anybody can do when they get into a dark period like this. 
or even it doesn't have to be that radical or dramatic. It can be just oh, something that happens, you know, to you in the middle of the week uh, that you weren't expecting. And that is the practice of compassion and loving kindness metta. And for me, it's about as soon as you turn to do that, you stop thinking about yourself and you're thinking of others. And as soon as that happens, you, the whole world can change just on a dime. And now when it's really dramatic, of course, that's not necessarily going to happen. But I, I'm, I'm all with you on, on having a regular practice that gives you some basis for, to, to uh, rely on when this kind of suffering happens. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you also went through this thing uh, which struck me uh, around prostrations, prostrations practice, right? <laughs> yes, another epic time. <laughs> yeah. And, and that whole thing of what am I bowing down to? Uh, faith in something bigger than anything I've known? Um, you know, and then uh, all of your identity and, 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 and everything you deal with uh, in that sense. Um, but I myself, and I've said it before on, on this podcast, I've told this story many a time, but uh, I, th I think the idea of prostrations or the idea of bowing down to another person, which is so anti-ethical in our culture, it is like a big no-no. And when I first went to India, there was one particular Swami that um, everyone's bowing down. And so I did what other people were doing. And I just, I could not fathom it for a second. I didn't get it at all. And so Ramdas showed up the next day and I told him about it. And he said, look, you are just honoring the light in you is honoring the light in that being. And if you have any problem, wonderful, work with it, you know, which is... <laughs> So uh, I went back the next day and none of it worked. I was still in that same place of duality and polarization and, you know, everything. Um, and then it was soon after that, within days, that I was in the Himalayas in the mountains meeting Neem Karoli Baba and he came out mm -hmm. and I did a huge belly flop without thinking. It wasn't even a thing in my mind. My whole inner being went, okay. And you expressed it perfectly. <laughs> I'm bowing to something that can never be destroyed. I love that line, Spring. It's uh, b the divine presence that's in us and in other beings. And, of course, if you're lucky and you manage to get in front of somebody who is not in the eye anymore, then it's even more profound. Uh, I, ha I, too, have the, within me the potential to be free. And you said, in, the, in that moment, I saw the jewel in the heart of the lotus. And it was my own goodness, my own compassionate heart. And that's indestructible. I don't know if you, you want, I, I've kind of quoted you from the book, but maybe you want to tell a little <laughs> bit more about that experience, because I think it's profound. Yeah, it was, it was profound at the moment, and it, it became more profound later. But I was on with a group of friends and we were doing a pilgrimage, you know, across northern India. And I that story takes place in at the Buddhanath temple in Bodh Gaya. Bodh Gaya, yeah. Yeah. So there I am with, you know, five hundred people prostrating and and I decided to we were in the park just every day spending time and I decided to offer a thousand and eight prostrations. And it was when I was doing them that this, like you said, this resistance, like what is, what it, what am I bowing to? What is, what, is this a joke? You know, and all this doubt and, <laughs> and, and, and anger and yeah. real rage. Like, I don't understand this. And I, you know, and I, I just, everything was coming up. I did it over two day period. And that those insights came from the second day when I realized I'm bowing to the divine and yeah and and it was a big moment for me it mm. was a realization that the buddha is not outside it's the yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the jewel yeah so for those of us that have a lot of pride 
go to India and go to any <laughs> Tibetan or Buddhist temple and do prostrations and see what happens to your mind and everything that comes up. It'll be interesting, you know. Yeah, for sure. It's a great I th- practice. I feel like I'm making a big advisal here about going to India, right? You must go to India. <laughs> Encounter real your day-to-day, moment-to-moment suffering that's so transparent in, in this place. It's... Uh, but I'm not doing that. I'm not telling people. I go to India all the time, by the way. It's my, my retreat. <laughs> I've been going since I was there with Neem Karoli Baba all those years ago. Um, so one thing, though, that uh, we, we should um, talk about, and you, you do talk about in, in the book, um, uh, you, it, it's about being in a marginalized group. I think that that's an understatement related to what's going on, being black in America, being uh, gay in America, you know, it's just, um, it's reared its ugly head in a way that's, uh, I don't, I mean, I guess it was just buried more, you know, in the days that uh, I was, in the 60s and 70s when I was growing up. But uh, it certainly is, um, it's, it's really come out now in a way that's affected so many people and uh, so you talk about it's easy to forget your light and your innate goodness especially if you're a person of color LGBT uh, or someone in a marginalized group we get trapped in lies that we and others repeat in the form of religious ideologies white supremacy misogyny and other forms of discrimination maybe just talk a little bit about your experience and your ability uh, to transcend it Yeah, you know, and that's a really important question and a beautiful one. And it's really linked to my work at the East Bay Meditation Center. Mm. Because as we, you know, opened up our doors, um, we said, okay, we're here to serve all beings. (laughs) And all beings came. And, and that has, and, you know, I don't identify as LGBTQ, but I, many of my friends, my community, but I am a black woman. And so, these issues and topics, they're, you know, they're coming up in Buddhist communities, but they're coming up in the world. I mean, they've always been up, but there's something being highlighted right now that is really painful and it's really shadowy and it's really unconscious. I think that's the better word for it. It's unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and how to deal with that as a spiritual practitioner with an open heart, it, it has its challenges you know, to stay compassionate, to stay forgiving, um, because, you know, we're really forgiving the deluded mind, you know, and I teach that a lot. And it's bittersweet for a lot of people to hear that, you know, we're in a struggle right now. And I'm sure that struggle is not a new one. It's not read history, but it's painful time for a lot of people. Mm. Mm. How in the world does one manage this, though? I mean, all the way from what we're talking about being a, uh, an African-American simply in, in this country uh, to uh, th- so the anger that we also develop uh, as just individuals related to what's going on politically in this country, the destruction of the environment, all of those things which really cause enormous uh, suffering and Many of us are identifying with that suffering in a way that's counterproductive to uh, perhaps initiate any kind of change. In other words, we're becoming like racists and misogynists. We are becoming very similar in our reaction mm-hmm. to those that are in power that are putting this stuff in effect. What, uh, yeah, can you comment on that? Because what we're talking about is across the board the polarization. Yeah. And, you know, for me, all I can do is look at this as a karma that we share. Mm. This is our collective karma. There's no, nothing more than that. And uh, how you work with it, how you work with your mind is the same. You know, this is, you know, this is the intensity. This is the fire that we're all going through. 
And I know racism hurts people on many levels. You know, I have many friends that are non-people of color that are deeply troubled and absorbed and, and devastated by, you know, what's happening. However, I think it's important, and I talk about this, you know, in our community in Oakland, which is a huge amount of communities of color, and I started mm. a people of color sitting group there, and I, I talk about in the book, actually, toward the later chapters of two days after the election of Donald Trump, I was there leading our Thursday night group, mm. where there was 200 people of color there. And I'm leading, I'm trying to lead a meditation, right? And there's a riot outside, oh, a full blown, and there's helicopters and bullhorns shouting and 10,000 protesters destroying downtown Oakland and tear gas coming in. And it was so hot in the room. It was this unbearable heat. And I remember as I was sitting there, all I could think of, what could I say? You know, I look out at the room, there's African-American, Arabs, Native Americans, Latins, everybody's there. What, what does one say in that moment? Mm. And I could just only think of the, the truest things like, you know, this is a story within a greater story, you know, and we're playing these roles out right now. This is somehow important, but it's also relative reality. There is another one. That's this is a chapter in a vast book. And I really believe that. And for me, I look at it as the hero, the heroine's journey. Here we are in this brink of time. Didn't think I'd come here in this lifetime at this moment, at yeah. this intensity. Mm. But I, I just open to it. Mm. And that's what I teach. Mm. Let's Beautiful. open to this. Right. Yeah. This moment, this this moment in time. Yeah. And taking a bit more of a macro view is, is, is not yes. a bad idea either. <laughs> uh, you know, there's somebody you mentioned in, in the book, actually, who I absolutely adore and love and spent time with in a similar way to you, uh, Garchen Rinpoche. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, to everybody out there, you can look him up. He is an uh, extraordinary lama who uh, is like everybody's mother. He's the mother you would hope to have. If you didn't have a great mother, he would be the one, even though he's male. He has the most uh, balanced uh, Shiva Shakti thing going on. Uh, and I did spend time with him in Los Angeles, and he was doing some teachings and drove him around, actually, so I was really fortunate. Oh, beautiful. And um, so for those of you, uh, well, you read... Uh, Spring's book, but he spent, he was uh, arrested in Tibet and spent 20 years in a Chinese prison, this Lama. And I think you mentioned this in the book, but when His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, was it His Holiness? Somebody asked him, how did he manage to not get angry at his, his captors? And uh, he said something to the effect, um, there was only a couple of times when he found himself um, being at all angry at what had happened or at his captors or anything like that. For the most of the time, this he went through the development of true compassion. Mm -hmm. And he just saw it as this was the perfect opportunity for that, right? I mean, if we could have one-tenth of the realization <laughs> that's involved with that, I mean. So at the time, uh, I was actually in the music business at the time, and we did the soundtrack to a movie called uh, Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion, mm. which was all about the Chinese takeover. And it had some pretty rough scenes. So one night I, I said, do you want to see this? And he said, okay. So we, we sat and watched this film. And I, like I say, it has some very rough scenes, immolations and so on. I didn't watch, I had seen the movie you know, a billion times working on it, but I just watched his face and his mm. expressions going through oh, a myriad. I could see, you know, what it meant to him his people what had happened 
his ability to have compassion for everybody, not just the Tibetans and what we're going, what they were going through, but the mm-hmm. the Chinese and what they had, uh, and the karma that they were creating for himself for themselves. Yeah, Garchen Rinpoche is something else, right? Yeah, I don't know what true. what was your experience when you met him. Really beautiful. It was a few years ago at the Kala Chakra initiation, and and he was previewing his movie about him, the benefit for the benefit of all beings. And so, yeah, you know, people like him, they show me what's possible with the human heart. You know, he's like a light bearer. Like, wow, this is possible. It's not only him, also His Holiness the Dalai Lama's doctor, also spent twenty years in prison. Mm. similar came out similarly transformed you know this compassion that they talk about and so it lets me know that that i'm just a baby in this like a kindergartner with the heart and the capacity of the human heart that's a fierce heart garchen rinpoche oh my goodness that's yeah, a, that's fierce a definition yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing being yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so great um one other thing, of course, you do bring up, which uh, we we share a lot on on the podcast with different teachers and so on, is of course um, a, another difficult subject for all of us: change. You're going through a change. You just told me you're moving. That's a change. You're you're having yeah. to deal with right, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So there there is endemic suffering with change and and resisting it and so on um it's funny because in your book you say from moving from one step to the next whether it's called it's calling in something new or leaving a job or relationship or moving you could have said in that moment even if leaving is toxic abusive agonizing it's painful to say goodbye that's just yeah how we are so attached to our habitual patterns is staggering and that's why um Making friends with change is a good thing. You want to talk about impermanence a little bit? I think it's important. <laughs> yeah, and you're you're reading uh, from one of my favorite chapters, "Hello Goodbye." Yeah, "Hello Goodbye." And, yeah. Hey, "Hello Goodbye," and I I remember you know having so many insights into the nature of impermanence. I think that's and on retreats that would be one of the most important insights I would have over and over again. I think sometimes we need to see certain things, um, and that one would just always appear the fleeting nature change and i write about how it really hurts even if it's something you can't stand and it's going you know relationship that tormented you is over but there's still this part um our attachments you know and so how to work with that and how to embrace change how to open to it how to be uh dance with it because it's such a fundamental truth I think that's our task in some way, impermanence. The final teaching the Buddha gave, you know, I always Mm. remember that, you know, Mm. his last words, the nature is impermanent, you know. And Mm. so that has always stayed with me, just a big, important teaching in my life. Mm. Doesn't mean it's easy. (laughs) We're not talking about anything easy. Yeah, Yeah, I still still get caught up, but I let go much quicker. Yeah, I, I, I accept, uh, you know, okay, here we are dancing yeah. and now we're not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Such is the, the truth of the, you know, reality here. Yeah. So I can, I can be with things in a different way. Yeah. And that's uh, when people ask me, well, you've been doing this for all these decades and everything. What, what, uh, tell, tell us what it is that uh, you could say is a major change. Giving up shit a lot quicker is right at yes. the top of the list. Okay. <laughs> So for sure. Gotcha on that, yeah. 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 Um, but there is one easy thing, and you do mention it in the book, and it's, is it the last chapter? I don't know if it's the last chapter, but uh, love is the answer. No, it's the second to last chapter. Love is the answer. I mean, uh, you may or may not know, I think you know, because you know who Ramdas is, that we come from the tradition of bhakti yoga, or guru kripa, the uh, uh, practice of devotional yoga and uh guru's grace and grace is a whole other subject that we'll have to take up in another Mm -hmm. podcast uh but yeah uh that to me is one uh, now and we have talked about uh one of the most effective ways 
to move uh, when you're in terrible, dramatic suffering, or at any time, but certainly then, is l- using compassion and loving kindness practices. But just lo- just the heart, I think that, uh, and you've mentioned this just before in the podcast, that moving into and allowing the heart to be present uh, in the midst of change, in the midst of impermanence, in the midst in the midst of realizing how caught we are in different ways, but yeah, love is the answer. Talk about love is the answer. Yeah, you know, I use I've been saying that for a long time because I've had a lot of insights. Whenever I'm struggling to accept something, a situation, a circumstance, somebody else's behavior. Mm. I, you know, I just come back to that. Well, what's needed in this moment? You know, I have all these questions. So really it's love is the answer. Hashtag to all life's questions. You know, mm-hmm. that every time I'm struggling, it's like love's right. Ah, no, you know, the mind. No, I will not accept this or I will not open to this. Um, and then I come back to that as the answer to the situation. You know, and it doesn't mean I don't stand up for things. It doesn't mean that I'm not on the front lines. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about something that's like the heart. It's like a, it's a response of the heart, you know, this kind of love. And it takes training in this. It takes, you know, some people get it by grace, you know, but then they have to keep kind of opening that door, though, yeah. to catch a moment of it. But that can be fleeting. Right. And the door, we had to keep opening that door. It's not our habitual response a lot of times. But I love the fact that um, this way of being, I think it's coming more into our culture, even though it feels like the opposite yeah. is emerging. I like guess yeah. more toxicity in the response, more loves too, though. You know, this other quality, I think, is uh, coming onto the foreground. Mm. And uh, just as important in my mind is sangha and we you know sangha yeah. in the buddhist and satsang in the hindu thing um and you have created this with the uh, the the first what is it east bay meditation center uh you've created a, a very important sangha but i think for anybody anywhere that is part i mean right the buddha said um uh, when they asked what's out of the three jewels, which is the one that's mm-hmm. most important, and he said Sangha, not not uh, Buddha, not Dharma, Sangha, and that to me is a great uh, realization for people, and and a movement to make towards, uh, and you call it the awakened community, uh, is um, I can't think of anything that's helped people more in in my milieu and the stuff that we do with the retreats that we hold in different in Maui and California and so on that uh, is quite as um, allows people to blossom with when you're around like-minded people doing practice together or just sharing food never mind anything else so uh, I'm glad that you uh, I mean obviously I'm glad it's nice that it's in the book though yeah, something elevates us in those communities, in those moments, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Where, like the highest part of ourselves comes out and we mm. bring out the best in others. And especially when we're at retreats and practic- practicing and, you know, difficulties arise too. But yeah, I, I'm really blessed to have so many beautiful Sangha members and creating community is something I care deeply about. I think Thich Nhat Hanh, he had a response when somebody asked him who the future Buddha was. And he, he said, the future Buddha is the community now, wow. mm. right? It's an awakening of group of people. It's not one person now. Yeah. You know, it's a collective of a, a, a movement and energy based in groups of people. And um, it's, a, it's just a, one of my most beloved. I, yeah, it's the jewel I cherish the most is yeah. my community. Yeah. I'm totally with you, Spring, on that one. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, your friends on the spiritual path. I'm sure, you you know, they're so cherished, right? You've oh. been with many of them probably your life. And, yeah. and God, they're so important to you now. I, yeah. they, this, this reverence for the Sangha has grown over years. I didn't appreciate it as much when I was younger. Mm. It's been over the last few years that it's dawned on me the insight Mm. into the value of spiritual friendships. 
and, and, and mentor mentee relationships. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown and it probably will continue to grow yeah. kind of re- respect and devotion to that. Now, um, uh, we will in closing here, I want to mention that we will have show notes and we will have ways for you to reach spring through website. And, um, the website is, my website is just um, springwashum.com. Okay. And you'll Very be able, simple. Yeah. And, and for people who are, even though you're, you're moving, you're, the East Bay uh, Meditation Center will continue. Yes, it will continue. And that's in downtown Oakland. And I'll be joining Insight LA with, oh, with Trudy. Trudy. Yeah. So I'll be in Los Angeles doing events and programs and yeah. So everybody, that's an opportunity if you live uh, either in the Bay or in uh, the Los Angeles area. So you'll take advantage and, and there'll be, uh, we'll put up the links to A Fierce Heart. And um, I want to put up the, you know, I didn't see the movie for the benefit of all beings. I want to see that. We'll put up a, a link for Garchan's yeah. movie. And um, and by the way, everybody out there, as far as other uh, satsang and sangha opportunities, if you're in a kind of isolated place or if you're in a place, maybe even L.A., and you want to uh, know where there's a satsang, um, please do write to us uh, at Be Here Now Network, info at BeHereNowNetwork.com, and somebody will get back and help you out, okay? Because we, do, we have a Ramdas fellowships all around the world, actually, so helping people just get together. So in the spirit of that jewel. thanks so much spring it was great to hang with you i hope we meet in person i'm sure we will one of these days i love that and you know we want to see you back here so thank you again this is mind rolling on the be here now network see you next week